You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the It's Always Draft Season podcast, part of the Packernet Podcast Network. Jake Shavink here, once again with you guys riding solo this week. Again, Mason is, is very swamped uh, in football season, working with a college program. So we'll see when he's here. Uh, it, it could be a little while um, before he can get back into the swing of things. Obviously, he'll be back here for draft season. I'm sure we'll catch him during the fall at some point uh, just to give some thoughts on what he's seen in terms of the draft prospects this fall. But we'll see him when we see him. Uh, You've just got me again this week. So I want to start really quick just talking about um, some of the notes that you kind of sent in um, via the survey. I appreciate you guys for filling that out. Uh, It's always good to get some feedback. And I thought the feedback was good. And, and overall, I do think that I understand that that obviously this is a this is a Packers network. And, you know, it's full of Packer fanalists who are commenting with the Packers spin on a lot of things. And so I get that it makes it a little bit tougher for, for maybe most of you guys or half or, or whatever the number is of you guys that are just kind of like the draft all, all year long is a little bit too much. And I understand that totally. I, I do think that there are definitely people who I understand that get into it, you know, between January and April, and that's kind of it. And they're kind of, you know, hyper focused on the NFL or just kind of take some time off in the summer to not think about football. I totally understand that. So, however, I this is this is a draft podcast. This is why Mason and I were brought on to to cover the draft. But I, I do hear you guys, and so I want to make some adjustments uh, as we go along with that. Um, the second half of this of this pod is going to kind of have a Packer spin now, so that's hopefully something you guys are, are excited about going forward. Um, a couple other things. I know that there was a big, you know, long, I don't know if it was the same person who, who put this, this kind of long response out as to what... Uh, they want to see from the show but whoever if that is one person i just want to comment on a couple things uh i i totally understand that you're listening to myself and mason from a fresh perspective in terms of how we scout players and kind of our approach to that so i know that it was kind of like along the lines of i want to open you know the curtain a little bit understand what your process is by position I'm I'm happy to to kind of open that up a little bit. Um, 
we might do that a little bit towards draft season though but but I, I will say and i'll try to keep it short for this i know that i think my kind of evaluation of prospects and of players is potentially a little bit different than a lot of the others at the network i, I get that i know a lot of the guys look at the the three-letter company and derive a lot of stuff from that i totally understand that pff's a great resource i, I understand that there's so many advanced stats there's so much they're tracking and it's really good i just don't want to fully put everything into two numbers a decimal and a number especially when i am not behind the curtain with that process so i don't know and especially by position i i'm very concerned with some of just i i don't know the scale seems to shift in my opinion so i don't know sometimes you know what exactly they're looking at in terms of grading they give you know, for some positions, they'll give you a run defense grade or they'll give you a tackling grade. That's fine. I just, it's something where if I knew more about everything that PFF puts in and, and how the eval process works, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable, you know, weighing it in an evaluation. For me, I just try to use as many resources as I can. First of all, I do think there are so many great film evaluators out there i way better than myself i try to listen i try to be a sponge absorb as much as i can you know especially on the defensive side like what's this guy's responsibility in 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 a weak hook zone or you know is this corner in in quarters coverage is he working downhill to the number two he's got to keep eyes on that so he's closing on that throw rather than you know sticking with the guy that's trying to stack and running a vertical route like all those things like i'm trying to understand those what what protection is being set is the quarterback doing it is the center doing it like sliding protection helps where who's whose responsibility then is on the free rusher you know there, there's so many things that goes in that goes into this and it's it's very hard to isolate players and i know that it, it's something that i'm still growing at and developing kind of a full system that 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 works uh, i think constantly tweaking it might be a little frustrating because it's like oh now is he doing something different i but I'm going to try and be as straightforward as I can. Like I said, I, I'm in the film room a lot, and I know that sometimes my takes might differ from the consensus a little bit, at least on on this podcast feed, and understand that. There will be times where I disagree with it and I'm wrong, and I will admit that. Um, but I, I just don't want to put everything into that. Like I said, it's a great tool. I encourage everybody who uses it. That's awesome. Um, but I want to I want to see it on the field. I know want to know what the responsibility is. Listen to some guys that I trust at certain positions or certain sides of the football. See what they think, uh, and then try to draw my own conclusions based on what they're saying. So we'll we'll kind of peel back the curtain position by position when we get there uh, to draft season. But just wanted to touch on that, obviously, um, just to kind of think about what the process is. I'm very film based. I definitely put athleticism scores into the eval though for sure production has its weighting system as well so those things are there and i'll kind of like i said get into the details later but we got a show to do as well uh we're already almost you know six and a half a little over six and a half minutes in but just wanted to comment from, from week one of college football um just what i saw i was at a wedding this past weekend had a fantasy draft i was driving all over the place had like 10 hours of driving in a 24-hour span it was a little bit wild and hectic, so 
I, I got around to some games. This Saturday is going to be a lot easier to kind of get as many under my belt as possible into Sunday as well. So there'll be a lot more notes from me next week, but tried to get to as many as I could. So week one notes, went to the, looked at the Georgia-Oregon game. Boy, the Georgia prospects. Uh, the, this this whole like, oh, Georgia's dominating the draft scene in 2022, it's it's probably going to happen again, like truthfully. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about two guys for the Packers a little bit later. But from from what I saw, Jalen Carter is is a blue chip, and we knew that. We knew that coming in uh, to the to the fall. I boy, the, the the amount of explosion, quickness, change of direction, and and pure power this dude can play with, whether it be in his in his lower half, his core, his shoulders, just the ability to get drive back offensive linemen, but also just get hands on quick and be able to toss guys. And there was a play that everybody talked about where he kind of got low, engaged, and was able to just throw an offensive lineman to the ground. He is a wrecking ball up front. He's going to go top five for a reason. He is that good. He's definitely better than Wyatt and Davis. So that's that's an obvious thing with him. They're just he can wreck a game by himself, truthfully. And and it's very exciting to watch. I can't wait to keep watching him throughout the season. Man, he has just every tool in the toolbox you could want. You know, sit and leverage in the gap, two gap, uh, toughness against the run, quickness to stack and shed. You know, he's able to get around blocks, scrape, and, and still have some explosion and flexibility to change direction, make a play in the backfield. But he can rush, too, and he's got an array of moves. And, boy, am I excited uh, to, to keep watching Carter throughout the season. One of my most, I think, underrated prospects that I feel like isn't getting as much hype as he should and and potentially on Packers fans' radar as, as well. We don't know um, year two for Josh Myers. A lot of us are expecting that jump, and that's very, very good. I'm excited for that jump. But I think Cedric Van Pran could easily be the best center in this class. I know Jarrett Patterson, Ricky Stromberg are getting a lot of hype right now. That's totally fine. I just think Van Pran plays the position mentally and physically just he he's very much in the zone and what I mean by that is I just feel like he never gets out ahead of the skis he's just feels very composed whether it be you know angles in the run game you know getting to the second level in zone just the angles he takes the poise he plays with the balance he plays with and how nimble he can be in the short area you know you're asking him to pull you're asking him to get out in front of guys he can do that space block you know working horizontally and again, just a smart, smart player as well. You know, pick up things in protections, understanding where stunts are going to come from, look for work. And he really can be a true finisher in the run game as well. He's not overly explosive. Don't you're not we're not thinking, you know, Linderbaum here in terms of wow, the athleticism jumps off the charts, but it's it's functional enough to be a second level blocker, to be a space blocker. You know, can you work horizontal? Can you work vertical? Yes, absolutely. Can you finish people at the point of attack? Yes, he does all those things. So I'm very excited about him. He is just a redshirt sophomore, but he can obviously declare. I just think from what I've seen, he is just very refined, very composed. Love what I saw from him in week one as well. Um, Nolan Smith, another guy who I think can very much crack the first round. He's obviously a little bit smaller. He's sub 240 pounds. But he packs a punch and he packs explosiveness. He has the length to boot. He, he's going to be a very interesting 3-4 outside linebacker. Some of the Packers might look into. We'll see. 
I think he's got to add more onto onto the frame, maybe 10, 15 pounds. But again, the amount of 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 just kickback he can kind of generate, and when I mean kickback is just kind of displacing linemen, getting them to off balance backwards, collapsing the pocket a little bit. The amount he can do with with power from explosion is impressive. Really like his game in that aspect. I, I think he kind of likes to shoot gaps rather than hold the edge in the run game. That's just something to watch. So I don't know if he's going to be this kind of stout run defender at the point of attack at the next level, but I do think he can spill. I do think he can get out, get on his horse, rush around the corner, dip, bend. It's all there. He's very flexible. He was a very high recruit. And, and we kind of saw flashes of it last year as well. And I do think he, he's, once again, still working on you know unlocking some technique as a rusher, but he, he really plays with his hair on fire, and, and he can generate splash plays in an instant. So I want to talk about two other guys as well here. Anthony Richardson and C.J. Stroud both stood out. I'm doing some charting with quarterbacks this year, so if you want to follow me on Twitter at JakeNFLDraft or go to my Substack, there will be stuff on the quarterback charting as well. But I didn't do everybody this week because I didn't feel like everybody had big matchups, right? Bryce Young playing Utah State. Do you really want to know how he did? I think you'd rather see how he does against Texas this weekend, right? So I wanted to do the two guys who, you know, had big games. And and Stroud obviously playing Notre Dame. Anthony Richardson playing against Utah. So two impressive schools. Stroud, across the board, really impressed. You can definitely tell that he is very much more comfortable Working to his right, he was four to four uh, in the pocket and out of the pocket from zero to ten yards. Balls were on target, uh, eleven to nineteen yards in the pocket and out of the pocket combined. He's three for four. Didn't hit a lot of deep balls. There were some definitely ones that were sailed. He he tried to target Marvin Harrison Jr. deep down the field left. He was he was zero for one. It was well off the mark. He he got out of the pocket and and got one down to I believe. It was uh, their tight end, kind of turned receiver, G. Scott Jr., and it looked like a play on the ball that was was able to be made. I didn't count it as a drop, though. It was a, it was a tough catch to make, but still very doable. It was on target. He he he's very poised, and I, it was was really good to see is him making some, putting some more velocity on throws outside of structure and being more accurate and on target out of structure. That's something that I highlighted if you listen to last week's episode that I felt like just wasn't there uh, last season. He was very much a in-structure, rhythmic passer, right? What I did see from him, though, is you're, you're getting some times where he looks a little hesitant, and this is definitely early on. We're looking to settle in a little bit, where he's seeing concepts and he's reading it out. He, he looks confident and poised in the pocket but he's not pulling the trigger early enough and and that could just be a product of him like being this very I don't know how I want to put this but like he's, he's an individual that of habit and he likes to go through progressions and sometimes he's looking for the shot play in the progression and he believes in it but when he reads out the progression he's just maybe sometimes hesitant and he just feels like, okay, well, this is here, but can I get to something else that could generate a bigger play? And so this is where you kind of get into this where, where I know Packer fans have heard a lot of the guys talk about fields being, you know, overly patient, too patient, waiting for things down the field, waiting for those big time throws to make. So it's just something with Stroud to watch for. 
Um, he did it with like a, a simple spot concept where he was kind of just late, knew that the corner route was going to be there, waited a little too long, everything was in place, and he just didn't trust it. So there's a little bit of that, but I do think overall, like like Stroud, just the ability to sense pressure was something else. Like it, there was one time Paris Johnson got beat uh, on his blind side, and he just knew the instant he had. The, the clock was there. He was able to escape. And he made two really nice throws out of the pocket on the run moving to his left. One was, I believe, like 15, 16 yards, and the other was like an eight-yarder. But both really impressive throws on target, precise. I'm impressed with him. And there, there's no secret with that. He's a top-five prospect in my opinion. Anthony Richardson, though. Wow. Wow. Uh, is is the is the word to use uh, for him? I mean, he wasn't like overly dominant per se through the air. He obviously had three rushing touchdowns, which is wild. He had a forty-five yard TD run that boy when he got up to speed and he kind of made a little jab move inside at the defender, kind of froze him a little bit and and was able to get through that that tackle low uh, to score. And there was a two point conversion where he got outside the pocket, made some guys miss. And just just be able to buy time and, and make those splash plays, artist like artistry like plays on the move. He was um, two for three on third downs, um, ten plus. Got one of them past the marker, picked up first downs on both. So he's making a good decision, getting the guy the ball who can make the play after the catch. Two deep balls he missed. Um, one felt like potentially could have been caught. The other was was pretty off. Uh, but again, another guy who's obviously comfortable moving to his right. He was much more accurate moving that direction. A lot of plays that were pre-line of scrimmage. He had, uh, I believe, yeah, seven attempts pre-line of scrimmage. So something to watch there. See, Florida's offense is heavily reliant on on some plays where you're giving playmakers a chance to, to do something after the catch. But overall, I, I do think... Two of two from 11 to 19 yards over the middle of the field. And when I'm talking about these throws, he he bought a little time. And when he saw it, it was out. And the velocity was insane. The amount of velocity he can generate on throws is impressive, whether it be on the move, whether it be in the pocket. But he looks comfortable in the pocket. But he is no stranger to, okay, I know this exit lane. I can find it. I can find somebody and make an accurate throw on the move. And that's something that Richardson did well against Utah and I I think he is already trending in the right direction in terms of moving toward the first round as a quarterback so a couple other notes uh from last week Keishon Butte really rocky game uh for LSU in general but Butte just looked off I, I don't know if it was something with the effort or just injury but he just looked off and it felt like the timing wasn't there between him and Jaden Daniels. Now, Daniels isn't a great thrower of the football, but he just looked off, and that was just not something I was expecting. I don't know if now there's talk about him potentially transferring. That'll be something to monitor. But, like, he was very much on the wide receiver one radar for, for many analysts across the board, and he definitely did not deliver in a game that that really seemed favorable for him to do so couple others I thought the Ohio State tackles played really really well Paris Johnson obviously moving out there to left tackle from right guard last year he looked comfortable footwork was good handled Isaiah Foskey for the majority of the game uh and and you know Dewan Jones looked a lot more flexible a lot more nimble 
and seem to be able to handle guys better with better hand placement and, and better anchor. He's able to drop the hips. He didn't look as stiff as he did last year, so that's very encouraging. He's a big, big dude at, at right tackle. So two guys who I think, Dewan Jones, I think could be definitely in the Packers range. Paris Johnson, I assume, is going to be top 10. And him and Peter Skaronski are going to battle for that tackle one spot, I assume. So Bijan Robinson is definitely that dude. I don't know what else there is to say. His ability to generate momentum and explosion while he's coming set in his cuts is just something that's not very natural. And not a lot of running backs have that. And he's just, again, he's unmatched as a three-down back with elusiveness, the ability to create for himself. It's just, I talked about it last week. It's, it's what else is there to say about him? Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun watching him against Bama this week. That is going to be something you should watch uh, if you're into college football. Okay, a couple others before we take a break here. Uh, Clemson defense has several, several studs on it, and that's, great to see uh they're they're playing up to their potential on defense at least and one of those guys brian brzee who is who is back and back in a big way uh he looked fantastic and it's the hand usage it's the athleticism getting off blocks quickly his ability to dip and kind of turn the corner almost quote unquote obviously he's an interior player a defensive tackle but the ability to kind of dip and turn and and get on a curvilinear path to to make things easy for him to get to the QB, just the athleticism, length, and and power he brings. He was in the backfield a ton, whether it be shedding quickly against the run, club swim, arm over, you know, against uh, against um, Georgia Tech. Wow, uh, he was he he looked like his dominant self, looked like the recruit that that a lot of people thought he was going to be. KJ Henry was another one explosive attacked gaps shot them well good acceleration moving downhill and and, and wrapped up extremely well I'm excited to get back into his tape he is a I believe a fifth year guy now so that's interesting Um, probably not on the round one radar just yet but who knows there's a lot of room for guys to to make their move so something to watch Trenton Simpson was was outstanding as well at linebacker he just in the short zones when he's playing overhang he he understands where he needs to be he's got an incredibly quick closer trigger uh to get downhill his recognition skills are great i do think he can handle things from a true linebacker spot dip around blocks and he's not afraid to take them on with power either so that's definitely something that i'm excited uh to see more of going forward. Uh, Clemson's got some big games, of course, in the ACC, so it'll be a lot of fun to watch him. Um, so we're going to take now a, a short break here, and we're going to come back with uh, Prospects for Packers, a newest segment here on uh, the dra- always it's, it's Always Draft Season podcast. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. 
And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so back here on the It's Always Draft Season podcast. But before we get into prospects for Packers, want to talk to you guys about Pristine Auction. So pristineauction.com is back on the Packernet podcast PristineAuction.com is the most trusted sports memorabilia auction site with an A-plus BBB rating. Uh, we are teaming up with Pristine Auction once again on another great giveaway. Listeners and viewers can win a Jordy Nelson signed football championship trophy. It's really cool. If you haven't seen the pictures for it, wow. Uh, it Incredible item. This is awesome to be partnered with. Uh, so check out our Twitter page uh, for pics of this great piece of memorabilia. To win, all you have to do is head to pristineauction.com and click register at the top of the page or just follow the link in the podcast description. When you register, use our registration code FAVRE, F-A-V-R-E, to be entered. And as a bonus, Pristine Auction will kick in $10 off your first winning auction. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Uh, plenty of incredible things on the site, you know, jerseys, a lot of things signed, helmets, all, all that good stuff. Uh, but upgrade your collection of signed memorabilia today and get $10 off your first item. One, when you use code FARV, when you sign up again, pristineauction.com slash register, or use the link in the show description, just use code FARV and get $10 off your first item one and be entered to win the signed Jordy Nelson football championship trophy. The drawing will be held on Monday, September 19th. So, as we move in uh, to this new segment, uh, Prospects for Packers, obviously we're going to highlight, I think, the best way to do this, in my opinion, is to just talk about a couple players from last week who stood out. And as as a 
homage to um, the rest of the incredible hosts on this on this feed. I'm going to use some PFF grades. So look forward to that. Um, but I do have obviously thoughts as well. Um, and then I'm going to highlight several guys that we, I think you guys should pay, pay attention to this weekend at positions of potential need for the Packers. So first, I want to talk about two guys. I, I do want to talk about safety Christopher Smith II from Georgia. I believe uh, Ryan mentioned him on Monday on his show briefly because he did grade well. And I want to talk about why he graded so well uh, for Georgia this week. So really quick, uh, he was the top-graded safety uh, last weekend. Uh, 92.1 overall grade, 71.8 run defense grade, 91 coverage grade. Um, There are a lot of advanced stats you can go into, but from what I saw uh, in this game, boy, he I, I almost... I'm going to go back when I can to look at his film from last year as well, just because he did have a, a pick six against Clemson where it was very similar. I feel like to the pick he had against Oregon. And so the pick he had against Oregon, it was basically in, in a four by one look and the running backs basically running almost a swing route. He's basically just running the flap um, as the number four on this side and you have three guys working up the field into their routes. And so the linebackers kind of almost keyed on the inside of the three along with the running back. He's got his eyes there. And so what Bo Nix of Oregon tried to do is he's trying to move that linebacker a little bit towards the running back and towards the perimeter with his eyes. So pump fake, you know, get get a little bit of motion towards that running back to move the linebacker, which he did do to create a little bit of space for the for the receiver he's he's throwing to. However, Smith uh, was able to diagnose this. He read the quarterback's eyes. He understood that this was the, the cell that Nix was was giving him. And just, again, the processing skills were, were high level. Gets downhill in a hurry. It's that quick trigger, quick closing speed, and impressive ball skills at the catch point to make the interception happen. He had to look, he had to go up for it a little bit. And just, just a phenomenal play from him. And, and that's where you see that heightened processing speed come into play at safety. Very important. Uh, again, I thought he did really well. And you're looking at you're looking at a too high world, right? A, a world where you're in shell as a safety. So what do we need to do, right? We need to be, again, sound in zone coverage. Understand where the assignment is. Understand, you know, you have half the field. If you, you got an incoming incoming route, you know, whether it be if you're not in quarters, your responsibility is again just to handle the the most. I just, most vertical, the deepest route in play and kind of work across the field, but obviously you're reading the quarterback's eyes at the same time, right? But what else you're expected to do is contribute in the run game. And and he filled extremely well, made a TFL uh, really outside the tackle box on a run to the perimeter where, again, he's flying downhill. He, he's he's making sure uh, that, that would-be blockers, are, he, he's avoiding them. But again, when he gets a clean route to run the alley, he's going to make that play and wrap up. He's a really phenomenal tackler that I saw in this game. And again, again, he made plays on the ball, and that's also important. And he, Nix was a little bit late to a, to a read, um, and a guy was running free uh, up the middle towards towards Smith. And because Nix floated a little bit, Smith was able to get there and break up the pass. So I don't know why 
I think there was like it was like two targets in coverage or one target in coverage at Ryan Messins, but he did have a pick because I don't think he was necessarily not targeted per se uh, on the interception. He just made the play and read it out really well. I would say he was his area was targeted on the pass breakup. Again, receiver had it. Smith was disruptive at the catch point, came in, lowered the shoulder, and, and jarred the ball loose. He also was in a, a, a single high at one point in the game, and Oregon tried to run a trick play. You know, you're trying to do that little flea flicker nonsense to get a guy open downfield, and Smith never bought on the post-snap window dressing, and he was sound and took away the route. Nix had nowhere to go, had to run. Uh, so, again, all around, when he, if he's playing on the roof, if he's running the alley in the run game, or if he's making plays on the ball, I, I think I would probably trust his skills in short zones as well if you're asking him to be a robber type, if you're asking him to just you know, drop down and, and be in a hook zone or, you know, you're dropping down to the flat, depending on where he's playing, depending on the coverage look we're giving. I do think Christopher Smith could be a really nice fit in this package defense. He was definitely going to be a day two guy at the position. I don't imagine that we'll see this meteoric rise, even though he had a phenomenal grade against Oregon. But I do think he, he is firmly in day two conversation. Obviously, we'll see with the Packers, with Amos and Savage, but He's definitely a guy to keep on the radar. Otherwise, same team from Georgia, graded out again very highly, 85 overall grade at tight end, Darnell Washington. And Georgia's got a few guys at tight end, right? Eric Gilbert, Brock Bowers, who wasn't even eligible, and of course, Washington. Now, Washington, I believe, is like 6'7", 250 or 260. I'm going to quickly go to Rise and Draft to make sure I've got that correct, but this is legitimately like a Mercedes Lewis type of the position. Yeah, 6'7", 260, huge. Uh, and he did he did hurdle somebody in this game as well. He isn't like the most dynamic mover, and so he won't be this like, you know, smooth, fluid, like route running type where, you know, you, you can be like, all right, get up the seam for me. He's not going to be who am I thinking of off the top of my head as a tight end that would be this way. Boy, none are coming to mind. I don't feel like he's of the Schultz-Knox type, uh, but I do think he's athletic enough to be A, a red zone threat, and B, tough to bring down after the catch. So two things there. Um, when you look at the grades overall, he uh, run block of 82.8. That's really, really encouraging. You want to attach somebody to the line. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, you want to get the run game cooking. He's able to block in line for you. That was definitely evident in the game. He He's played a lot more balanced. He looks a lot more refined with his hands, and he's powerful, and he's going to generate a ton of power out of his stance. And when he's he's quick out of the stance, he's going to generate power, but he's not, again, we talk about this all the time, getting over the skis. He's not getting off balance to where guys can shed and kind of you know, push-pull him a little bit, get him on the ground. Uh, but as a receiving grade, he... Um, he, he was also pretty good, uh, you know, 69 overall uh, receiving grade and then a 67 pass blocking grade as well. So that's a pretty good pass blocking grade um, as well. So, you know, you attach him to the line. You know, you feel like you need an extra guy in there in pass protection. He can do that for you as well. But, again, he's a good receiver who I think is a lot of body control, obviously an expanded catch radius. And so I think he gives you, you know, a, a, like I said, a very much a young Mercedes Lewis type at tight end if you you feel like that's somebody you want in your building 
I think that Darnell Washington would be an intriguing fit, again, probably on day two as well. But again, another high recruit uh, from Georgia who, again, overall, if you're looking at that type of player, I feel like you know, you're looking for two-way. That's not a bad place to look first with Darnell Washington. Now, Mayer, obviously, from Notre Dame is, is the headliner there, but and Tucker Craft is somebody to watch for. But, hey, Darnell Washington starting off uh, things pretty well. So for this weekend, I put a lot of names down. We'll see how many we get to. I'll try to keep it brief, but this first guy, uh, if you're listening this Friday, um, Friday night, I would I would turn on Boise State. I would I would watch Boise State play only because of J.L. Skinner. He is 6'4", 217 pounds. If that sounds familiar, it should. That is Kyle Hamilton in terms of measurables. Uh, as for his strengths, and I, I wrote him up here, so I've got some stuff for you guys from summer scouting. Thought he had great closing speed, whether it be running the alley, and, and when I'm saying running the alley, obviously that's that's you know defending the perimeter run, pursuing from the backside of the play, or an off coverage in the slot. I do think he has the ability to sit in off coverage in the slot and, and kind of close. Obviously, has the length to challenge passing windows. And so he's going to shorten those windows for quarterbacks. And again, with that short area quickness he has, the change of direction skills, it's going to make things a lot tougher if he's spot dropping in zone. Serious stopping power. This dude's an enforcer. And Boise State talked a lot about how he has definitely embraced the idea of being a better tackler. He has certainly done that. And, you know, he he brings the boom as well while also wrapping up. He isn't a guy who's throwing his shoulder at you and kind of missing tackles. No, he's hitting you hard, but he's also finishing and wrapping up. I think he's enough functional athleticism to be a tight end eraser. Like I said, I think Kyle Hamilton was the same way. He, he's got enough quickness, and he's big and strong enough to handle guys like that. So there's your Mike, Mark Andrews um, stopper of sorts. Uh, I he played, phys- he played really physical through the catch point, and, and when he's in those situations – especially in the red zone, I think it's going to be very hard to say, yeah, this is a 50-50 ball. You're more thinking 40-60, 30-70 in terms of favoring the receiver. Like I said, he has the wingspan to close windows and wrap up outside of his frame, and I think he's got the straight line speed uh, to carry. When he's in a robber look or you give him a man and he's got to handle a crossing route, I think he's got enough speed to be you know, at least in the hip pocket and trail technique and and, and be able to, again, with that wingspan, challenge, challenge the catch point and challenge the throwing window as well I do think his quickness is lacking probably for handling slot receivers especially if you're talking in man coverage like I said in off coverage and zone coverage it's very different when the route recognition is there with him it's very different than trying to flip your hips to get vertical and then try to work back downhill as well I question the range a little bit um, even though I like I said the straight line speed in, in in the short area you know talk about carrying across the field it might just be a route recognition thing where he's just not getting up to speed because the processing speed isn't there as a true back end safety. But again, if we're living in a too high shell world, then I don't think the single high thing is as big a deal. I even put sufficient for deep half and quarters coverage, but single high doesn't inspire confidence. So he's not going to be Jesse Bates in my opinion, but oh well. Um, there are some there are some angle issues, especially when he's coming from you know from deeper down the field when he's in quarters or in half. So that's just something to monitor as well. But again, I think you should watch him. 
uh, tomorrow night. I believe it's on. Yeah, it's on CBS Sports Network. So if you have that and you want to watch Boise State, watch JL Skinner play. Now for the rest of them, Alabama's got a few safeties uh, to watch on Saturday against Texas. Brian Branch, Jordan Battle, DeMarco Hellams. Battle's really the all-encompassing wish fulfillment genie, basically. Ball skills, enforcer type, range to work sideline to sideline when he's you know kind of been, been in the box, but he can handle things in a deep half. I just think he's all-around talented uh, as, as a playmaker. Would like to see the tackling get a little bit better, though. Uh, Brian Branch, I think, is the true, like, he, he plays a lot of the star nickel position for Bama. So he's handling a lot of things in man coverage in the slot. He's handling zone drops. You know, he's got to be recognizing, you know, where to fill in the run game. So he's doing he's a lot of responsibilities at the star position. He's got run fits, but he's also got coverage. And mixing the two and, and kind of trying to handle all the window dressing, play action, you know, it's a tall order, but I do think Branch handles it really, really well. As for Helms, didn't have a lot of notes on him, but again, another guy that that's big, strong, and athletic at the position. So three guys to watch for in that game with Alabama and Texas. If defensive line still is an issue uh, after this season, I I think he won't necessarily play his way out of range for the Packers, but we'll see Jervon Dexter from Florida. Watch Florida and Kentucky. Might as well to watch Anthony Richardson and Will Levis go to battle. It's going to be a great game. Definitely one that I'll be tuned into fully on Saturday. Dexter's just a guy who's who's literally like, you know, when you talk about a receiver who's always open, right? Dexter is basically the dude who's always collapsing the pocket from the interior. Like legitimately. I there were I watched like three, four games. It felt like 80% of the time he's generating at least some reset of the of the line of scrimmage. What I mean by that is he's generating, you know, two, three yards of displacement, either with a guard or a tackle, that's kind of making the quarterback uncomfortable. And when you have that kind of power in your lower half, when you have the power in your hands, the pop, you know, to be able to land that initial strike and drive people back consistently over and over and over, like you're getting my attention. And so that's what Dexter does. And, and he does have some counter moves, but the Straight up, the bull rush is so hard to defend against him. And, you know, I like what he does against the run as well. I think he, He's stout enough to, believe it or not, at his size, I actually think he can hold double teams. And that's, you know, for a guy his size who I think, I'm going to bring up the numbers right now, but, like, for a guy's size, that's it's, it's impressive to me. And I, I do think he's definitely on the first-round radar, 6'6", 313. Okay, so he's not even that small. He doesn't look huge on tape, but still, like, Again, I, I feel very confident in this dude just because of just the way he plays, the amount of pressure he can generate. And then, you know, when you have interior pressure, it's a big, big deal. Um, I, I do think if you have CBS Sports Network, like I said, you know, you want to tune in and watch Andre Carter play uh, for Army, a, a big, strong, athletic, long player uh, on the edge, if you Edge could still be a need as well. That's just something to watch for. But feel like he's going to be a really highly drafted service man, and there's going to be some you know decisions to have to work out with him. So tune into him. I don't think it's a big. I forget who they're playing, but not like a big crazy matchup. Uh, Pitt and Tennessee have some guys to watch. Um, Habakkuk Baldonado, Pittsburgh Edge. Guy who's very intriguing to me with the athletic tools. And again, another guy with impressive length, strong pop in the hands. He's going to go up against Darnell Wright, who 
has ridiculously good grip strength, a tackle that Green Bay could be in the market for. Okay, tackle is not not off the board whatsoever. Um, but again, the grip strength, the anchor, and I think the footwork's actually pretty good as well. I, I do think he is, you know, deceptively sudden in his movements back and forth. Uh, you know, to be nimble enough to handle things on the outside at tackle. So Baldonado versus Wright, I think, is going to be a very, very good matchup to watch for. In that Pitt-Tennessee game, Iowa-Iowa State, if you got Big Ten Network at 3 p.m., two edge guys to watch. Will McDonald the fourth, honestly, like if, if he wasn't playing in a 3-3-5, we'd be talking about him a lot more because his assignments aren't of a true edge necessarily, Not at least not always, at least not always. But he is a guy who I think should at least every year in college be a double-digit sack artist. Again, he would be if they played a lot more four-man fronts. But like the, his ability, again, to dip and bend around the edge. He has a wicked spin move. He just has counters upon counters upon counters. And when you're talking moves and counter moves, which is a lot of what edge play is, he's very good at that. And I do think he could easily, one for one, be an edge three in Green Bay. Like He would win that job in a heartbeat. But I do think he can be a starter as well. Lucas Van Ness is actually in the same position. He had seven sacks and eight tackles for a loss last year, but he's playing a lot of interior because Iowa puts him there. He could probably be a true edge, and that's what's exciting about the tools with him. Haven't studied him a ton, but like, again, for Iowa, you know, some of these guys you watch for, and, and I'm recording this Thursday night, like AJ Epinesa finally kind of broke out a little bit. And, and really made some plays for Buffalo tonight. And so, you know, when you look at a player like that, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, he's 6'7", 260. He's a big dude. And I'm I'm excited to now kind of watch some Iowa guys because I feel like there aren't a ton this year to watch for. So other than Laporta, who I'll obviously be watching as well. um, Keep it going here. A couple more guys, just a couple more. So Stanford and USC is obviously the night game on ABC. Benjamin Eurosek's intriguing. Uh, a little bit of a smaller tight end. This looks more like your H-back. We talked about Darnell Washington. This isn't the same player. 6'5", 230. Another guy who I think can threaten up the seam, though. And we I, we talked about him a little bit last week. You know, big catch radius, surviving contact. You know, got to work the route tree with him. But, like, overall, this is, you know, untapped athleticism at the position. So, a guy I, I would definitely pay attention to. Um. Rounded out, 9-15, BYU and Baylor are playing. Um, you know, Pac-12-ish after dark vibes with this game, even though neither of these guys are in the Pac-12. Um, but BYU-Baylor is a top 25 matchup, and they feature two very good tackles. Connor Galvin, a, 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 big, a big guy in his own right. We're going to talk about Blake Freeland, but Connor Galvin, is I believe six seven as well a six six three fourteen another you know taller prospect at the position who does a really nice job of getting his hands on and surviving in pass protection good anchor good quickness uh, good foot speed the sets are clean the sets are balanced they don't look clunky but it's again he has to work on knee bending and not waist bending that's something he definitely does a lot as for Blake Freeland a guy I was very high on entering entering um, the summer scouting process at 6'8", 307. He's a, definitely a pass-blocking machine, 
in terms of, again, the footwork's really good. He can recover really well. You know, his inside hand is really good to handle inside moves and counters. But I do think the height has a disadvantage where you have edge defenders kind of staying low and getting into his frame. And they can kind of disengage pretty easily if, if they get into his frame. And that was a, a more common occurrence than I thought it was going to be uh, for Freeland. And he's got to get he's got to get way better against the run. the The initial quicks are okay, but like getting out in space and blocking, he just does not sustain blocks one bit. That is concerning. I want to see a little bit more from him this weekend. This is a game I've been circling because it's again two very good teams and two tackles that you absolutely should be watching. And that's gonna do it pretty much for me this week. Uh, a, a lot of guys, hopefully for you guys, Packers fans that are you know, big into college football, get some names out there throughout the day and just be able to turn on and be like, yes, I heard about this guy. Let's see how he does. Because I do think, again, defensive line, safety and tight end are very much in play next year. So, yeah, I I think hopefully, you know, wet your whistle enough with enough names this week. So hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode. If you like this format a little bit better, always good to let me know on Twitter at Jake NFL Draft. You can always post in the Packernet Facebook group if it's like oh yeah this was better this week you know you can always give us give us feedback and that's something that i i want you to guys to feel like you can do at any time um but i hope you guys uh in, like i said enjoyed this format you can follow me on twitter at jake nfl draft working stuff at nflmocks.com risingdraft.com as well and got some stuff on substack if you follow me on twitter you'll see that link as well uh, but i will sign off for you guys this week uh, for the it's always draft this podcast we will catch you guys next friday